Well, welcome everybody to a joyous edition of the Bristol City podcast. We've got the final score at Ashton Gate yesterday. It finished Bristol City 1, Derby County 0. Joining me this morning or this afternoon or the evening, depending on what time you're listening, is uh, Mark, uh, Ian, and a very good friend of mine and, and Derby County uh, supporter who watched the game yesterday, Mike Stewart. Good morning, everybody. Everybody happy? Morning. Maybe no, Mike. <laughs> Let's do what we normally do, uh, which is just a quick sort of uh, 30 seconds thoughts on the game in its broadest sense. I'll come to you first, Mike. As a Derby County fan, what were your thoughts uh, come the final whistle at 10 to 5? Right. Well, I'm going to fill the 45 minutes if you want. <laughs> no. Just briefly, we, didn't, we weren't there for the first half. It was one of the poorest performances we've been put in for a long time. Second half, he changed the system to 4-2-4. We brought down the two strikers, made a big difference. We could have saved it in the end. We didn't. Uh, we're in trouble, uh, not just the points deduction, but we've not had a good scorer for some time. Uh, we need somebody who can put the ball in the back of the net. Um, in fact, you could say the same thing for City as well. I've got a few comments to make about uh, your manager a bit later on, because, of course, he was a huge success at Derby County. Not. <laughs> we'll discuss that later. Overall, I think we missed an opportunity. The manager came out and criticised the team afterwards for not putting enough intensity into the warm-up let alone the first half. And um, I think the problem is we may now be looking at the fact we're not going to escape. Uh, we've put in some good performances, but the points aren't there and 19 points to pull back or more is probably going to be too much. So the players may be thinking, what's the point? Mark, your thoughts on uh, the game overall? I mean, it's uh, four games undefeated at Ashton Gate now. Um, you know, a positive performance from your perspective or more of the same? Well, uh, it should be reasons to be cheerful this morning, David. Ten points above the relegation zone. Uh, another clean sheet at Ashton Gate and a fine finish from Alex Scott. But yet again, City were wasteful in the first half when they had three presentable chances to put the game to, game to bed. They closed Derby down uh, well in the first half. Derby trying to play out from the back and City constantly turning over the ball. But yet and again in the second half, we stood off Derby, allowed them to play. I think a lot of that was was changed by by pushing Tom Lawrence back into midfield. So he ran ran the midfield, but they blunt, Derby were blunt up front because they had no Brereton Diaz. City were able to ride it out until the end fairly comfortably, but bigger tests will follow. Yeah, Ian, your thoughts on the ninety minutes? Well, the, it, <clears throat> the first half I thought we were good, apart from our finishing, which was dreadful. Uh, if we'd have been three 0 up at half time. I don't think anybody um, would have uh, would have complained. On the downside, we still can't keep the ball. Possession yesterday was lower than ever at 33%. Uh, we only had eight shots in the 90 minutes and only two of those were on target. And uh, after the game, I was having a conversation with somebody along the lines of, uh, I can't remember either keeper making a decent save. Mm. Um and when, when you look at the fact there were only six corners in the game, that's both sides. Um, I, I don't think it's a... Um, <laughs> I, I did a Nigel there, didn't I? I did the, uh, I did the little laugh. Um, I, don't, I don't think it's... Uh, uh, the most important thing is the result, let's be fair. Uh, playing well in the first half, and we did play well because we pressed Derby. We didn't give their aged central defenders any time on the ball, uh, and they could both play. Uh, and in the second half, we stopped doing it, and it was almost identical to the Blackburn game. Yeah, Because Blackburn are a better side than Derby, we made a mistake, and Blackburn capitalised against Derby. We made a mistake, and they didn't capitalise. Yeah, and, and that, to me, was a difference. I mean, for... for you know, as Mike says, worst he's seen Derby play. They had 64, uh, 64, 67 67 67 67 yeah. 67%. The first half, I actually looked at half time on the BBC website, and despite them not playing well in the first half, their possession was north of 70%. It was about 72% in the first mostly half. Mostly in our but own they, half. But they had no shots. Mostly in your own half. But, but David, they had no shots. Derby play, in fact, I think it might even have been Chris Honor or somebody on Radio yeah. Bristol last night. Derby play a little bit like Peterborough, lots of possession, lots of passing. And they didn't, 
the goalkeeper hardly kicked it long at all, Mike, did he? You know, Not on this occasion, because we just changed for some reason the goalkeeper. There's been a lot of criticism about Rose, uh, the Dutch goalkeeper, who's been in despite making some terrible faffs. Um, and for some reason, Rooney suddenly dropped him and put Olsop back again. Wicked ex Wickham goalkeeper. Um, he had an all right game, but really City, other than the shots they, they, they didn't fire in the net um, and the one goal, didn't have much to do. No. Talking about lineups, uh, start with you, Mike, your Derby team. I mean, you've got experience there. Jagielka, Curtis Davis, I think, Forsyth. Shin has been around a bit. Lawrence, you've got the makings there of, you know, there's some good experienced players. Were there any surprises in the uh, lineup for you yesterday against Bristol City, other than that goalkeeper one that you just alluded to? Not really. Um, the, the, the team has, has been fairly established with one or two tweaks here and there. And Rooney does like to change the game, uh, change the team according to the, the, the opponents where he can. Um, the one good point that came out of all yesterday was the appearance, the debut of uh, a young 19-year-old guy called Luke Planch who came in alongside uh, Kazim Richards up front. And I really think for a debut, had a great game, particularly playing away. And I think he's going to be one for the future. We've got some very good players coming on in the academy and maybe that's going to be good for them going down a division to League One. Although, of course, the opponents are a bit, uh, what should we say, uh, a bit more robust down yeah. there. Um, but uh, we, we have some excellent young players in there. Bird, uh, Knight, um, I'm trying to think else. Oh, Thompson has just come in in the last two or three games. So I think that's our problem. We've got we've got aging veterans who are playing really well for their age in this tough division. Uh, and at the other end, we've got these very young players who are learning their game in the championship. Um, we have players like Lawrence, who's not, not been playing that well. Well, in fact, never have since he signed for Derby, but has had a bit of a purple patch in the last three games, wasn't really on it yesterday. Uh, Shinny, who was dropped right off in the last couple of games. So it's not really happening for us at the moment, just at the time when we need it to. Yeah, and you've only won one win uh, in 11, which, well, uh, never mind the Rooney's, points deduction, that's, Rooney's that's, win rate, poor form. that's poor form. Rooney's win rate must be as bad as Nigel Pearson's for I was going to come on to that. <laughs> well, certainly Nigel Pearson's here and at Derby. Uh, Ian, uh, our lineup, no real surprises. Baker out injured. Benarus rested. I think any side is a luxury having Scott O'Dowder and Benarus. But uh, did you uh, expect any more any more changes in? There was a slight change of shape, wasn't there, with the uh, Semenyo coming in and Vyman dropping back to fill that extra midfield role. But your thoughts on our lineup? Starting? Yeah, we played a three-four-one-two, and a lot of clubs in the division play. Steve, Steve Cooper, for example, at Swansea and at Forest, always played a three-four-two-one or what some people call the Christmas tree formation. And we could play that, and I've suggested it weeks ago. Um, I, I wasn't surprised to see Semenyo come in, but he was gone after 50, 55 minutes. He couldn't make the runs. And that's not surprising because the kid hadn't played any football for, well, this season. Um, and he had an operation in the summer. So that wasn't a great surprise. And I was glad to see him do as well as he did. And if you like, he really went for it and burned himself out. Uh, I, I don't mind Vyman is a 10, but if you're going to play a 10, we've got better 10s. And Alex Scott is the better 10. Uh, so at Hull, who also play 3-4-1-2, uh, I would play Alex Scott is the 10, and I'd play Vyman and Semenyo up front. But on the proviso that we can't play Pearson ball, we have to play football and we have to pass it through the thirds yeah. and we have to get those guys in down the channel. And it put me in mind of when Terry Cooper many, many years ago. So I'll, I'll go down memory lane. had Glyn Riley and Steve Neville up front. Didn't have a big guy, but they both ran the channels and gave defenders a terrible time because they closed down and they got in behind and they both could score goals, particularly Riley. So um, I would I would say... I'd like to see him do that hole. If if Baker is fit, um, I would play him instead of Viner. And if Matty James is fit, I would play him instead of Backinson. Yeah, but that's what that's, I do, that's what I do at Hull. Yeah, that's a, that's at Hull coming up. I mean, let's get uh, talk about next mark with you for uh, the goal. I mean, Viman's been credited with the assist there. I think it's a bit dubious because the ball bounced off him, but it is what it is. But uh, 
you know, what a cracking player Alex Scott is. And uh, who'd have thought he'd have been making a decent fist of it as a wing-back because he didn't get as, you know, every game he plays there, he seems to be gaining in confidence. But back to the goal, which came on the 16 minutes, it was a cracking strike and it wasn't on his best foot either, was it? As Chris Honor pointed out, he struck it first time. Some players might have got it on their better foot and maybe lost possession, but great goal, wasn't it? Yeah, because he 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 didn't hold back. He he was on on the front foot, waiting waiting for the ball to drop, which all good um, forward players do. Got his knee over the ball and just cracked it low into the net. We could show our other forwards, you know, uh, the art of finishing, especially Antoine Semenyo, who you know who, who spooned one over um, after that. But I mean, I I disagree. I think I think Scott I think Scott's best Scott's best position is in is is a uh, number ten. Uh, behind, you know, behind uh, Vyman and Martin, or behind definitely behind Martin, because uh, you know I think he's a he's a good finisher, and I think you know he can he can play players in, uh, is 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 as well as scoring goals, and I think Semenyo's best position is is wide. Whether he can perform a defensive role as a wing back, I don't know, but he could certainly really put pressure on 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 full backs, on wing backs by pushing the ball past them, and he, he would cause havoc doing that. I don't see him doing that as a as a as a forward at all. I think he's completely wasted there. When he's been as an impact sub as a wide man, he's he's done great. Uh, did it at Huddersfield last year? Did it to some? Did it at QPR last year? Uh, he's you know he's done it and he's done it in other matches. But no, I think he's completely wasted in the centre. Semenyo, I'd have him out wide, either in a four three three. But if we're favouring a a three-five-two, make him wing back, but he'd have to. He would have to trap back and and, and cover who's ever playing. In. It's the uh, it's the right sided centre back. And like Ian said, it would be great to see Baker back there. I don't mean, I don't think Atkinson's as good on the ground as, as Baker. Uh, so I'd, I'd pick him. I pick him. I pick him in front of uh, of Atkinson. But of course, it depends on whether he's fit. Yeah, you 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 pick Atkinson in front of Viner. Sort of, you, you, so Viner would be the one that would drop out, and you'd have a back three of Callas, Atkinson, and Baker. That's that's a dream back three, there, isn't it? Then, from that uh, perspective. Well, no, I'd have picked. I've, I think I might have picked him in front. Might picked him in front of Atkinson. I think Atkinson oh, better, he's better on the ground. Okay. Yeah, I thought he did okay. Yes, yeah. so just quickly on that, you said about Scott playing in the ten. We've got um, Benarus, who's another player of talent and I would say of equal ability to Scott it's a nice position to be in but is his best position a 10 as well Mark or yeah I think I think he is um did play great in the first half against uh against Blackburn particularly uh when we were we really suffocated them you know by playing by pushing our back three up so they are very close to midfield and the forwards really struggled to get hold of the ball uh, in the first half Blackburn the other week and Benarus was the was one of the architects of that? Didn't play so well against Stoke and was dropped against Sheffield United. Very similar to Alex Scott, I think. I don't think you can play them uh, both in the same team. And this Scott plays wide right, so yeah. we'll have to we'll have to see whether that means Benarus going out on loan yeah. to play regularly. City, as Ian as Ian said, City had uh, chances to uh, increase their lead before the break. Uh, the most notable one I've uh, got down here. It's 23 minutes when uh, Calamo Dowder, who's putting in some decent performances, and you don't often hear that from me, he set up Chris Martin, who drove the shot wide when really he should at the very least bought a save. Uh, Mike, Chris Martin, a, f- a player you're familiar with from his time at uh, at Derby, he's not, mm. how, how would you describe, he's not a target man, and our manager, your ex-manager, has played him in every match bar, well, he's played all bar 72 minutes of the season. So your thoughts on Chris Martin? Well, I'm, I'm a bit surprised he's playing so often because um, sadly, I, I really admired Chris because he had a, some great seasons for us, uh, particularly under uh, Steve McLaren, uh, and he was scoring some amazing goals. Um, and it just seems to have lost him. And he had this illness, doesn't seem a bad one, uh, doesn't seem to have recovered, went out on loan from us, a number of teams, including, I think, yourself, or your City may have signed him. Um, he's still there. You can see glimmers of, of, of what he can do, but he's just not the same player that he was. And I, I don't know what to put it down to, whether it's his reaction or what. And, he, he, you know, go back a few seasons, maybe age, of course, go back a few seasons, he would have drilled the net with that uh, attempt. So um, 
I, I don't know. It, it's a puzzle why he's not made a, a better mark, really. Yeah. Have you still got Waghorn at the club, Martin? No, went to Coventry. He, he went across Coventry days, yeah. Ian, what did, what did you think of um, Chris Martin yesterday? And let's pick and uh, to take some individual player performances. Chris Martin and uh, Hanoa Masengo. I, I tweeted at half-time that he'd shown some great close control uh, on occasions. But Ian, your thoughts on those two in particular, Martin and Masengo? I, I didn't think Chris Martin had a great game. A bit like Mike said, some, some nice bits... But to be honest, the strikers at our club, I think we could have Messi and Suarez up front. It wouldn't make a lot of difference because we don't give we don't give them the ball. Um, and strikers need service; they need crosses. And I think I'm correct in saying we are the least crossing team. And we have, and I definitely know that we concede the most crosses as a team. So we're the most crossed against, and we're the least crossers. That's so, and and that's why that's why we don't score. That's why we don't score goals at home. That in terrible finishing. But in fairness, we created more chances than we normally do yesterday. Um, despite their keeper, apart apart from the goal, having nothing to do. Uh, and Bentley say, didn't. I'm sorry, interrupt. I'm just going to say I thought you got it. Although I thought the one or two of them were maybe dubious offside, you got in round the back our back four quite nicely yesterday. No other team I remember doing that quite so often. Yeah, I mean we we've got when we play like that, and uh, for example, when we beat Barnsley recently, and and our last four home games we've won three, drew drew one after going for a record period of time without winning it home. Um, we played really well really concise football for five minutes at the end of the first half. And we were dreadful for the other 85. And I mean, we were really poor. Barnsley should have won that game. Yeah. Um, and we passed the ball. <laughs> and it sounds really, uh, it sounds almost like you're taking a mickey when you say it, but I'm not. When we pass the ball and get it on the floor, we're not bad. When we boot it and what's being called either hoof ball or Pearson ball at the moment, it's pointless. And I've said so many times on here and people will probably be fed up with hearing me say it. If you're going to play like that, you need to recruit like that. You know, the first thing Warnock does is, is turn his team into land of the giants. Yeah. You go out. Oh, I want a midfield player. Right. Matty Crook, six foot four. He'll do. Uh, who else can I get? Who's seven foot tall can play up front. But his lad plays basketball for a hole. He'll do. Get him in. And, and, and you've got to have the players to play like that. Um, and if you haven't, then play football. Uh, like I said, when we had Neville and Riley up front in Terry Cooper's style. Well, we've got, but we've got the and players. Play, we've got the players that can play that sort of game. Because if you say Andy Vyman and Naki Wells, they're two players yeah. that can yes, yes. run the channels. Yeah. And well, I don't know about Naki so much, but he's, he's quicker than Chris Martin. Let's put it that way. It was yeah. one time when Chris had an opportunity. To outpace Phil Jagielka, who's pushing <laughs> pushing forty, and he couldn't do it. Yeah, I, so, I think I know. I think I noticed that incident. I, I mean, you were said about Masengo, and I'm still in the what is he uh, category. And Masengo is, is the kid we had in midfield, Mike, with a big, like Busby style haircut, French lad. When we, we paid a lot of money for him, an awful lot, four, about four four and a half million. And when he was a kid, and um, when he's eighteen, he's only a kid. He's only twenty now. Um, um, and we had him in. I, I thought we had a great, great touch. He looked as though he was going to be a box-to-box player, and we turned him into Robocop. So he's probably put on at least a stone, if not a stone and a half of muscle, uh, so he could actually tackle and compete. He runs around, he tackles a lot, but in 40-some-odd games, I think he's pushing 50 now, he's never scored a goal, and he's never um, done an assist. No. Or as far as I know, created a chance. So I, I'm. Uh, I thought he had a decent game yesterday. I think he he took one touch too many, far too many times when he could have just played a simple pass out wide and played somebody in, and he had to run towards him for some reason. So he's still decent footballer, but for me, an enigma. Yeah. Mark, um, let's pick a couple of City players' performances uh, for you to. Uh... To look at Backinson 
caused a lot of frustration in Nigel Pearson, judging by his touchline antics that people said uh, Pearson was showing at uh, Sheffield last week. Um, I've seen mixed reports on the forum. Some people thought he did okay. Some people thought it was more more of the same, a somewhat laconic style. How, how did you rate um, How did you rate Backinson's performance yesterday? First half, not bad. Uh, you know, when we when we pressed when we pressed well. He was able to find the space to make the forward passes. The second half, just constantly giving the ball away. And I think the trouble is this this style of his. He's very he's very upright. It seems to glide around the pitch, but when he, you know, he he, he just doesn't show a lot of physical presence in terms of of, of make, making tackles. He really struggles struggles to win the ball and, and head head the ball. You know, he doesn't just doesn't look like he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna be a win a winner. So. I can you think he's got it. almost got he's got almost a combination of Carlton Palmer meets Patrick Vieira, isn't it? Really, it's that sort of yeah. he's got a physical presence, but yeah, I don't think he had the problem is he doesn't have a he doesn't have a physical presence. He can play some. No, he's tall. But I mean, he's tall. Yeah, he's you know, tall enough. Field. He's tall he's, enough. He's, he's got, just no, he's just no, not he's just not strong enough in a tackle. I'm not expecting him to make tackles like Patrick Vieira, but I am expecting him to win the ball and come away with the ball. With the ball, some with the ball sometimes, not just try and poke the ball through players' legs and run around the other side. And when he's heading the ball, he he just doesn't look he just doesn't look strong strong enough to, to, to win it. But I mean, this, the second half he just dropped off dropped off the pace, and his his performance was was really reflective of City's whole performance. They seem to go back in into their shell, and really, I think his place is in jeopardy. I think we'll bring Matty James back against Hull, a safer pair of hands. But going back to Masengo as well, about what we said, I think he'd be much better. If he was playing for Swansea, he'd be a much better player because he'd have players around him who, who pass the ball to feet and play the ball through the thirds. We don't. And we just do these aimless punts up to Martin all the time. It was, uh, you know, it was Ian's alluative. He's only 5'10". I mean, last yeah. week he was getting constantly up, outjumped by John Egan. It was embarrassing. Every ball headed straight back. What's yeah. the point? Play it through yeah. the thirds. Just play one path touch, two touch football, and we got the players uh, who can t- who can get away get away from their defenders. Especially what Craig Forsyth yesterday. I mean, he he got moaned at terribly on the derby forum. You know, saying that he thinks that uh, Rooney, they think that Rooney be picking him again in thirty seven years time. He's, <laughs> he's that bad. Absolutely is he, was awful. He, is he the one with the? Who was the one that was in the referees every five minutes? Is that Forsyth with the I beard? Think number three, wasn't he? For no. Forsyth, Craig yeah. Forsyth. Yeah, he left back. Yeah, yeah, left, yeah. left back in the changing room. I think they wanted him. Yeah, but he wasn't, was he? Mike, Mike, your team, and as you said, and everybody agreed, had a better in the second half, but without really uh, testing uh, Dan Bentley in the City goal. Um, Clarence had that shot saved. Ravel Morrison, who'd come on as uh, a sub, I think. Yeah, it was almost a heartbreak injury time, uh, his perspective, uh, heartbreaker. Um, Ravel Morrison and Eberselli. I mean, why did Derby sign Ravel Morrison and Eberselli, the winger? You've got a bit of a star on your hands there, haven't you? Uh, yes, we have. Uh, he's another one who's come through the academy. He's got, um, got an amazing pace. Um, how long will last? I'm not sure. Um, as you as you can see, he's pretty muscular as well, but he can cover the ground. And I think uh, I think it was Atkinson was covering him most of the first half. I mean, really, the first half was all Eberselli. We didn't have anything else. Yeah. Um, and we're we're really good at leaving wide players in at least uh, ten meters of space. We we do we we must be the most narrow team that's ever played football. Because and that's why we have all these crosses against us, Ian. Yes, we play so exactly. Narrow. Exactly. And, and I mean, if you've got a player like that, you're not, well, it's not a great idea to give him a foot race because he's going to beat you. So you get close, you get in front and, you you know, the, the, the lad we've got playing left wing back, Callum O'Dowder, Republic of Ireland International, is a left winger. He's not yeah. a full back. And in fairness to the kid, he's working hard and trying hard there. And then we've got another lad who is, the lad who come on as a sub, Campring, is a full back. Yeah. And he's he's probably every bit as quick as is Callum because he can shift, um, but not as not as quick as that kid. He put me in mind of um, Adama Traore a little bit. You know the Wolves player who I, I saw two of our blokes trying to catch once, and it was like they had breeze blocks on their feet, and he had running spikes. They <laughs> and he had the ball, and they yeah. could not get near him. Joe Bryan and Marlon Pack, 
couldn't get anywhere near him. And he was gone in a space of about five five yards. They were uh, eating dust, the pair of them. Traore's got Traore's got an upper body frame and it looks like an inverted triangle. It just never yes. seen anything like it. But what, oh, what you, can't, you, you yeah. won't push him around, Mark, would you? I mean, he's not that he's not the bloke you just nudge off the ball, a little winger. I mean, he'll just he'll smash you out of the way. He's, yeah. he's got the build of a he's got the build of a rugby union rugby union lock. He has. And was he playing was he playing for Wolves yesterday or not? I don't think yes, he was. He was. was he? Yeah, he you was. Know, he didn't he didn't feature in that game. Back sorry, Mike, back back to you. Ebersele and and Morrison. I yeah, mean, you asked about he, Morrison. Yeah, is he just one that you've picked up because he was out of contract because his track record over the last five years had been great? Hasn't well, Rooney said a few nice things about him because he played with him at Man United. Um, but um, it was just desperation. Uh, he was available out of contract. He's one of these I've been everywhere man uh, type players, and he has. Um, he was available. He, he does have a certain style, a certain class to him. But um, contribution to the games... I would say around 50%. Um, didn't really add a lot yesterday, I didn't think. And he even missed that great opportunity right at the end. He uh, hit it into the ground, though, Mike, didn't he? Um, he didn't hit it cleanly. He, 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 he hit it down into the ground, which is why exactly. it, 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 didn't really tr- it didn't really trouble Bentley. But, yeah, it was going in the right direction, but it took all the power out of it. And he slows us up. That's been our problem, is going forward. We've been so blooming slow. Uh, but I have to say, let me just add just quickly that um, I was quite impressed with the City press in the first half. Uh, you can't keep that up, of course, 20 minutes, but I thought it was very, very efficient and really gave us no time to settle on the ball. And that really, you know, when we weren't at it, that really put us under great pressure. And indeed, as someone said earlier, we sh- they, you should have been three or four nil up uh, at half time. Yeah, and the game, the game was <clears> out of sight. Right, now here's a question for the, the two veterans here. That's Mike, you, and uh, Ian. Mark knows the answer because I was chatting before you guys came into the room, so you can't. Yeah, you keep your keep, keep your head still and talking to the mic because you, yeah, you're. Right. Like, I'm picking up. <laughs> I'm picking up about every third word. Yeah, right, I sound like Norman Collier. Okay. Yeah. 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 Well, I've stopped uh, doing uh, the. Right. We had we had a we had a pitch <laughs> invasion. We had a pitch invasion from a fan yesterday. Yeah, which doesn't yeah. happen very often. And he ran onto the pitch. I thought the I steward... thought he was the chairman. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I, I'm guessing it was a Derby fan, but he ran onto the pitch and he evaded the first tackle by one of the stewards, which was, uh, which was incredible. And then when they started to walk him off the pitch, it was like a slow substitution when you're trying to run the clock down before the referee or people said, go off in the corner. But it reminded me, and I'll put this as the image to this episode of the... 1966 FA Cup final, Everton 3, Sheffield Wednesday 2, after Everton were 2 0 up. When a certain, I think Sheffield Wednesday were 2 0 up. Sheffield Wednesday were 2 0 up, but they lost. Certain Everton supporter ran onto the pitch. So, my first question, well, my question to you can either you, Mike, or you, Ian, name the Everton fan who ran onto the pitch before he was tackled with his braces flying by two members of the old Bill? I yeah. um, I can I can name Mike Trabilco is, is scoring two of the goals because I'm glad you got the first... pronunciation of that correct. Yes. Yeah, it was the <laughs> first. Um, it was the first FA Cup final I can remember watching as a kid. Uh, oh, I think I might have seen West Ham in Preston uh, when Howard Kendall played. A- anyway, uh, West Ham in Everson. Sorry. Or, uh, uh, no, West anyway. Ham in Preston. It was 1964. Well, yeah. So I can think I can remember seeing a bit of that, and but. Um, no. no, I can't name the, ch- the, the chap who lost. I remember the incident, but that lad yesterday, and the thing that always bothers me is, number one, how does he get on the field? Because we've got enough stewards down at Ashton Gate to sink a battleship. The second thing, what if he was carrying a knife? Yeah. Because uh, if that, that lot, the stewards, were on the Somme, we'd have lost if, if they were on our side. <laughs> Um, well, it's interesting what you say about carrying the knife because I don't know what it's like. At, what, uh, what if he did? What if he wanted to go and stab? Yeah, the, no, the dar- no. The dar- but I mean, you know, we're being yeah. we're being scanned going in. But both, yeah. both myself and Mel yesterday, perhaps we looked really, really inoffensive, but we were waved straight through, and it was like a soup. The previous two home games, if everyone wanted a super spreader event with everybody queuing up to yeah, yeah, go through there. Mike, can you can you give us the name of the? Uh, 
the, the Everton fan is a really tough question, actually. So it's a bit yeah, harsh. It seems but... I have no interest in following, so I can't. All right. Oh, no, it was it was Eddie Cavanagh and another old boss of uh, mine going back uh, many, many years. He, he used to go to school with Eddie Cavanagh. But, uh, but there I've just we go. Got, so, I've, just so, got a pic- so, I've just got a picture of him here with, with, yeah, no, with I've got, white I've, shirt I've, and tie and braces. Yeah. I'll yeah, tell yeah, you what, yeah. Eddie Cavanagh, the most, I think the strongest thing that Eddie, Eddie Cavanagh would probably have been guilty of sniffing is a tea bag. But but that uh, that fan yesterday would probably have been something slightly stronger. Uh, would you would you all agree? Well, I thought he probably did it for a bet, and I hope he got a decent amount of money for doing it because he's going to be watching a lot of football in the next five years, is he? What's it? What's it? Is there a? Is it like a standard fine and a ban, an automatic ban? It's definitely an automatic ban. Isn't it, it? He'll get banned and, and he'll get he'll get fined. But uh, I mean, it depends how long the ban is. I don't think it would be a life ban or anything, but it might be three or five years both clubs. Mike, yeah. is that is did he do it deliberately so he doesn't have to watch Derby in the wilderness years? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I have to say I haven't been to a game this season at all. I, I tend to watch it in uh, Luxembourg, if you understand what I mean. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you're calling us today from your home in uh, in, um, in in Ukraine. Italy, I mean, in, in the Ukraine, Ukraine in the Ukraine. You're yeah. in the Ukraine today. Well, I think that. Right, I think let's talk to... a bit. I, w- I want to talk. Uh, a about um, Nigel Pearson, which is enjoying it, and ask you a little bit about what's it been like being a Derby fan. But, but Nigel Pearson, when he came to us in February this uh, year, um, we all thought, what a choice. You had him at uh, Derby, uh, what, May October 2016, a win rate of 21. You're off mic again, Dave. Yeah, win rate, win rate of win weight, sound like Jonathan <laughs> A win weight of 21%, three wins, five draws, six defeats. When he came to Derby, uh, did he succeed McLaren? And what were your thoughts when he came to Derby? And why did it go wrong? Well, um, it it came at a point where we were sort of slightly um, at a crossroads. And I can't remember whether it was whether McLaren just left or Paul Clement, who was, um, at that time, we we thought he might be the, the chosen one from the continent. Uh, but he wasn't. But, uh, oh, Dave, do you mean, Dave, is it Dave Clement, the old Chelsea? No, Paul, no, Paul Clement. Paul Clement. I think uh, he, he, also, uh, he, also managed another, he also managed Watford briefly, didn't he, I think, or Reading. Or was it Reading? Reading, Reading, Reading yeah. yeah. Number two yeah. with Ancelotti. Right. Uh, um, and this was his first game, uh, first uh, uh, time as manager with a set of number two. But getting back to Pearson, uh, again, like you, we thought, oh, good, solid manager, did a good job at Leicester. Let's see what he can do. What we needed was a bit of, uh, you know, needed to get solid, and we thought he would give that. Well, he certainly made us solid, but we were so solid, we hardly moved on the pitch. Um, and I think it was something like four goals, no, three goals in 14 games, or six goals in 14 games, I think was his record. He, um, it was dreadful to watch. I saw hints of it yesterday in the game. Um, I just think there's an opportunity there at City. I thought you had more up front if you could just set the game, set the team up. Um, and, uh, you know, all right, you're not sh- taking the goals, but that often comes with, with confidence. Pearson at Derby, we were so glad when he left. He and the chairman fell out. There was some strange story going on in the press that the chairman had used a drone to go up over the training ground and watch his training sessions to see what they were about. Uh, whether that was true or not, I don't know, but whatever, he and the chairman who's now, of course, in disgrace, um, uh, didn't get on. And he departed very quickly. I think it was over to Cardiff or Swansea for a match on a, a, a wet, windy uh, Wednesday evening. And uh, he got the, um, the nod of getting his, his cards, um, I think, in a, a telephone message or a text message or something. So he departed. Just 14, 16 games, that's all he lasted. And um, I don't think we were sorry in the end to see him go. Um, he apparently also fell out with quite a number of players. I was going to say the player, the player power thing. That was the sort of undercurrent that came out because it was quite a strong dressing room there with the yeah. likes of Richard Keogh. Indeed. And, um, uh, is it Lawrence? Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. That, that there was some strong characters there. So, yeah. Do you, I mean, do you think do you think Pearson's in that uh, class of uh, dinosaur managers which has been levelled at him? Yeah, or do you think that's being a bit harsh? Old school. Uh, he, he is old school. I, I think he's obviously learnt a little bit from, from the problems he's had. He, 
he had a, a good run in, uh, in Belgium. All right, maybe not a, a, a top-class side, but uh, he lasted there for two seasons nearly. Um, th then he departed quickly from his next appointment, Watford, I think it was, um, yeah. after he took them out of the relegation zone and then they fired him and went down. So, you know, I think he brings something to the table, <clears throat> whether it's a long term, I doubt very much. Yeah. Ian, yeah, I was going to come to you next, Ian. Ian, do you think... I felt the last couple of invoices, and Mel and I invoices, interviews, Mel and I watched his interview last night, and Mel said unprompted, she said, that's one of the best interviews she's heard Nigel Pearson give. Do you think he's more comfortable in his own skin? He's got over his health problems that he's probably had since even at the time he joined us. Do you think we're going to start to see, do you think the players know the standards that he expects, which is commitment, and fitness. So your thoughts on uh, on, on Pearson with now uh, seems to have turned the home record round. Well, I'm just looking at it. it, it I'd agree with you on a recent home record. Yeah. Um, I think we need to, We you know, let's not get carried away. I mean, if you look at the current forum table, we're 17. Hmm. If you uh, look at the home forum, forum table, we're now 16th. But if you look at the away forum table, we're now 22nd. Um, so that's a complete reverse of what we were at the start of the season. Now, Pearson's record since walking through the door, and, and I'm more generous than some because I give him I give him the Borough game, um, which was his first game in. He'd been with the club about four or five hours. Uh, his rec total record is played 36, won 10, drew 8, lost 18, 439 against 54, so we've got a minus 15 goal difference and we've picked up 38 points out of 108. So that's a win rate of 28%, a points rate of 35%, 1.06 points per game. And some seasons that would get you relegated. In fact, most seasons that would get you relegated because you're not at the magic 50 points mark. So um, it's not a great record. His record this season is marginally better. Uh, but I, I'm not going to get excited um, in, until I see the performances improve a lot. And from and doing it in one half and not the other isn't the answer. And we've done that twice in two of the home games now. Stoke, let's be perfectly honest, we should have been out of that game after 20 minutes. Oh. Absolutely. No, they could so, have been tuning so up after 10 minutes. I, in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before I start doing, you know, start doing backflips, don't get me wrong, it was a clean sheet, three points. Um, we're 10 points off the relegation zone, as Mark said earlier. We're only seven points off the playoffs. Um, not that I'm looking that way at all, but there's still an awful lot to do. And I like the fact that he alluded to that afterwards, and there were certain elements of the the game that he was unhappy with so I think he sees it um, I'm just concerned about him addressing it because I think it, it, it's, there's there's knowing what to do and I understand from that he wants players uh, in, in January what he wants and what he gets might be a little bit different but I, I think we do need those extra players, A, to ensure safety, and B, in case we pick up more injuries, because we've got two key players at the club who are incredibly injury-prone. And Joe, Joe Williams has started five games this season and completed one. He's only completed 90 minutes once in the 18 months he's been with the club. Um, and I don't see how you can build... Uh, build a team around him. Nathan Baker, we've played 21 games this season. He started 15. Of those 15 games, he's been carried off twice before halftime. Um, he is, uh, and he's gone off in two other games injured. So it, it must be very difficult for Pearson because if you've got those two in your starting lineup, you've yeah. got to be thinking, well, I've, I've only, I can only put three substitutes on the field. Two of them are, are possibly taken care of by those two. So if he wants to change things around tactically after 60 minutes or at half time, as, as Rooney did yesterday, he's got to have one, one eye on well, yeah. is Baker going to complete 90 minutes and is Joe Williams going to complete 90 minutes? Yeah. And I think that's a, 
that's that's a real awkward position for the manager to be in. Yeah. Mark, um, we spoke last week, and I'll ask Mike about the transfer window uh, in a moment, after we've also talked about how Derby have got into their financial mess. But Pearson seems to be quite animated on the touchline as well the last couple of games. He seems to be on it a bit more. Is that just me, or do you feel that as well, that he seems sharper as a, as a person? He certainly looks a lot more comfortable, and I prefer him in that position, giving the players a rocket up their ass because they need it most of the time to be under pressure, to show that level of hunger because they showed it uh, in the first half against Blackburn. They showed it yesterday, but that's complete opposite of what they did against Sheffield United when they allowed them so much space to play, didn't press at all and looked scared in parts of a team who were probably of a lot higher quality, but they certainly weren't in, in terms of their league position for a good, for a good reason. So why yeah. didn't we get why didn't we get about them? And that's what we need to do. He wants players that are hungry, who really are prepared to put in performances for 90 minutes. You can't press all the time. Mike's right, players get tired, but you can show, you can get tighter to players, you can track players, you can you can tackle better. Uh, and of course, it also brings the crowd brings the crowd with you. You notice we know at Ashton Gate, we're not Newcastle. Uh, or you know, or one of the big one of the big one of the bigger clubs whose team performs badly, and the crowd will sing throughout, regardless of how badly they're playing. We won't do that. It noticeably no. drops off if you don't see those yeah. tackles going in or, or good forward play. Interesting saying about the crowd yesterday. I, I don't believe there was eighteen thousand six hundred no, there. Not they obviously home. count the non-attendees. You could spot loads of empty seats in yeah. the uh, south stand. I was in the lower Lansdowne. I thought there was more than a thousand and seventy-five Derby fans there, though. To be fair, because I thought there was about I thought there was about fifteen hundred Derby 1, fans. Fifteen hundred, fifteen hundred, fifteen hundred and fifty-two. Yeah, yeah they looked and they it, yeah. kept they kept the support going right the way through the game. So all credit yeah. to them, Mike. Um, you 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 as Derby, you've had a few seasons. I'm not going to check up where it is. But you, Derby have always been a big club who would flirt between now the Premiership and the Championship. You've Not probably been watching them for 50, 50 years or more. Um, I mean, you started when you were four. Uh, <laughs> certainly 54. You're only 54 now. I mean, do you... you how, how do you feel about the current state of the club that it's been allowed to get into? And what is the current situation? You know, is somebody going to buy you? Just give us a sort of quick pricey as a Derby fan on... Okay how it got there and where it is now and where is it going? Well, let me just say, I think what's happened at us, uh, and a lot of people, supporters of other clubs have taken pot shots at us over the years, um, but it's a warning to other clubs, particularly in the championship. Something's got to be done about the divide between the premiership and the championship, because either you say, well, we're not going to do it, we'll try and survive in the championship, or you spend a lot of money, you get the players in, and you're lucky, you go up, you get out of any FFP, uh, if you don't, like we didn't when Lampard took us to Wembley and got beaten by Aston Villa uh, and they went up and we, we stayed down, that was the start of it, where we got into financial problems. The chairman, Mel Morris, was a Derby County supporter for many years. He put his money where his mouth was, but unfortunately he put too much of it and, and some crappy players, I have to say, were bought in the interim, which didn't get us very far other than playoffs. I think we went up and got the worst number of points ever uh, well, what, about 10, 12 years back. So basically, we spent far too much money. In the end, to try and get over FFP, we, we, he bought the ground using a sort of dummy company. Uh, the EFL and the club have had disagreements for some considerable time. Uh, in the end, the EFL finally got their way. They got a little within, um, managed to find a hole in our defence regarding amortisation, where we use the normal way of amortising players uh, or, or an asset, rather than uh, doing it the way the EFL liked. The disciplinary panel came finally on, a, on appeal in favour of the EFL after coming in favour of the club previously, and it's gone on from there. It's gone on for ages. It's been bloody awful, to be honest. It's a disgrace from my point of view, that the EFL act like this, it's time the whole system was worked out properly for the clubs because you can't leave a club in limbo for two, three years and then give it something like a 20-point shot. All right, Morris put, lost a lot of money. He should have lost a lot more. 
perhaps and paid off some of the debts. He's disappeared now, apparently not a well man. Sorry to hear that. But he's left the club in a terrible state. We're in administration. They're trying to sell the club. We've got three or four potential bidders, apparently, but they're going to have to pay a lot of money off before they can take control of it. Something like 60 to 80 million, they say. So there ain't going to be much money for players at the end of that. Yeah. And I mean, if, you know, you, you, you don't talk too disparagingly of Mel Morris as a chairman, because, I mean, our chairman, right, he well, is... there's similarities there. Well, that's right, because, two, I mean... Two that, strong chairmen, yeah. independent guys who are putting their money behind... But how much, how much ballpark figure, right, how much has Mel Morris put in... And if you include buying the... Just how much of his millions. fortune... Millions. Two, well, how many? Two hundred million. I, I don't know how many because the number the numbers are banded around in the press, and you you know you read one thing there, one thing there. Mm. Uh, it's um, it must be getting on for fifty to hundred million. I would think overall. Yeah. And that's I mean, the same sort of number, ignoring infrastructure costs, because our manager, oh, sorry, our chairman, well, the ground our is owner, million, David. He's our owner has put in. If you say he spent a hundred million on infrastructure. And if he's been chairman for 18 years, he's now put in probably, I would say, losses. Well, if he's been losses of another 100 million, he's he's lost yeah. more than Mel Morris. Yeah. I mean, Ian and, and Mark, um, you know, there we go. We've got a chairman who's had probably one spell in the Premier League. Yeah. Narrowly missed out, as Mike said. You know, is there a lesson to be learned there? Is Steve Lansdowne got the right approach or have both of them done it wrong? And people like Bournemouth and what have you, their chances paid off where they beat the system and got away with it because they got promoted. Well, the, answer, first, to that, the, answer, the answer to that question is yes, um, because you've covered all the bases there, haven't you? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Bournemouth did it and got away with it. Yeah. Um, they had a fine of 8.8 .8 million. They finished up paying 4.4 .4 million as a result of negotiation, but they paid that three years, three seasons in the Premier League, by which time they'd have 300 million in income. Um, if you, if you, the difference with Lansdowne is that Lansdowne owns all the assets. There is no debt. There's no debt to, the only debt to outside people is I think five million overdraft to Barclays. So Steve Lansdowne, or I should say more accurately, Pula Sports Guernsey Limited, owned the ground. Um, it was originally built, uh, or the redeveloped ground was originally built um, with a 50 million loan from Citibank, which Steve Lansdowne has paid off in cash. So he owns the ground, he owns the training ground, uh, or what, what they laughingly call the high performance center. And in fairness to Pearson, even he won't call it that. Uh, the Bristol Bears have got their own training ground, uh, which was paid for by uh, CLC, I think the company is, who are sponsors of Premiership Rugby. And they put their money into rugby. And there's a salutary lesson here to be learned, is they put their money in on the understanding it could not be spent on players in wages. It had to be spent on physical infrastructure. So that's a huge, that's a bet. That's that, that is a lesson for prem for football because it just doesn't yeah. happen. It, it's yeah. So you've got four. Wasted. So, so those, those three facilities, uh, the redevelopment cost circa 50 million. The ground is probably worth, well, what's a football ground worth? It's only worth what you someone's prepared to pay for it, to be honest. But I would say the grounds were 75. I would say the two add the two training grounds in for the Bears as well. And you've probably got another 50. Steve Lansdowne, in terms of he's written off 120 million in loans by turning it into equity. Um, so and 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 the EFL won't let you loan any, they'll only let you put in a certain amount. I think it's something like five million a season that you can actually put into the business in cash, and he still does that. Um, because of last season, uh, our accounts. I'm sure that's one of the reasons our accounts haven't come out yet. They're well overdue. Uh, I think we're going to lose every, all the qualified people are saying somewhere between 32 and 35 million. Yeah, no, last, that's right. se last season, we lost 10. 
So that gets, takes you to 45. Fortunately, the season before, we made 10 because we sold all our best players. So that takes you back down to 35, which in layman's terms gives you 4 million quizzers of headroom. We spent uh, 2 million on roughly committed to spend on Tanner and Atkinson in the summer. Um, Tanner's another player I'd, I'd like to see back at, um, uh, at Hull. And apparently he's back in training. Um, so uh, I, I would say that Steve Lansdowne's total outlay is 250 million-ish. Uh, and I, the only way he'd ever get that money back is if Bristol City got in the Premier, um, Premier League debt-free. And I think we're probably further away from that than we've been for the last, I don't know, I, I would say three, three or four seasons. I'm talking about since we came back up into the Championship. So, uh, you know, I think what the thing about setting up a, um, a, a, a you could call a dummy company, special purpose vehicle or whatever, to buy the ground. Sheffield Wednesday did the same thing and they had a deduction as well. So I, I think that that's a salutary lesson. I think Reading would have done it, but <laughs> they saw what happened. And don't forget, Reading have still got a six point, another six point deduction hanging over them if they don't meet the financial figures, uh, the budgets that the EFL have laid down. So their points deduction... Troy Deeney? Uh, you no, mean Andy, um, Carroll. Andy, Andy Carroll? Andy Carroll. Andy Carroll, Carroll. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. wrong guy. Well, they yep. did that the same day as they got the damn deduction. So if I was in the EFL, I'd think, oh, yeah, well, they're, they're learning lessons, aren't they? Oh. They signed an injury phone bloke on massive money. So... Well, how did they... Some, somebody reckoned that they, 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 their, their, their wiggle room would only have allowed them to spend about eight grand a week on Carroll, but that... That sounds ridiculously low. How how much well, more eight, wages eight, do you think? Well, eight grand. Yeah, but there's look. There's ways around it with signing on fees. You know, you you bonuses. Want, well, I don't think they're allowed to do that under these new accounts. But what they do do, uh, they'll do things like they do it in the rugby. Um, oh, you can have that much wages, and of course, you know, if you do some sponsorship for some companies we own, we can pay you separately for that because that won't come out of the football club. Yeah. So there are there are ways around it. I'm not suggesting that's what Reading have done, but I'm, I'm saying that there are ways around it. But it would seem to me um, they're the next one heading for a fall because their wage bill was unbelievable. They missed out on financial fair play by 18.2 million. So they didn't, they didn't just, you know, it wasn't a, a million over or anything like that. It was way beyond it. And, and I don't think they have got some players they can sell for decent money. Uh, if they can ever get Zhao fit uh, and that, but but are they going to go anywhere? A little bit like our situation with Casey Palmer. Are they ever going to go anywhere when they're well, the on market, a, The market's a good, included, hasn't it? I'll come to you in a second, contracting good go, money. I just want to go back to, to Mike. Mike, correct me if I'm wrong here. The Derby County thing could have been resolved towards the end of last season. And yeah. this season, because the points deduction's been done now and you're going to need two points again you're going to need promotion form to stay up and you'll probably say you haven't got the players to achieve that even though no it's, you know the fact you haven't won you've only won one in 11 yeah. do you wish with the benefit of hindsight that you'd taken the hit last season because wasn't it wickham went down because your situation hadn't been resolved and yeah then, and they're now this, and because this is a dead this is a dead rubber this season for you, really, isn't it? Yeah, it, it is. Well, there was hope, say, go back five, five or six games ago. And if we do manage to get, though, we'll need to get out of administration. If we do manage to get some reasonable players in, um, then, you know, there's still a little bit of hope. But I guess it's dwindled down to less than 10% now of, of saving ourselves. So we're already looking to really just setting ourselves up for League One. Um, would it have been better last season? Well, I have to say the last game of the season against Sheffield Wednesday, it was a real Brahma of a game where we, uh, we got the, the three-all draw to stay up. Um, and uh, it was an exciting uh, game after a, a horrible season, really, where we couldn't score goals. We had the same problems. We lost Koku, who was um, not much of a manager for us in the championship, never seemed to want to change his game. Um, and we were that's we were passing the ball all over the place, but getting nowhere. A bit like we were in the first half when most of the game yesterday. Uh, even under Rooney, he is trying to make a difference. But uh, and, and fair play to Rooney that some might have thought that he'd have cleared off by now and chucked the towel in, but he's 
He's still he's, at it, ably supported he, by uh, one of our former Rosenia, players. Yeah, he left the club. Only left the club because due to a paperwork error. Liam uh, Liam Rosenia. Mark, yeah. um, and I'll come to all three of you on this. There's been talk this week about redistribution of income and parachute payments. There has to be a better way, yeah? And you could argue that, you know, when you look at most of the clubs in the championship, and I think it's about eight in League One now, have had Premier League experience, yeah? And you've probably got five clubs in the Premier League at the moment that wouldn't be considered as part of the elite, but do you think the timing is now right that they can, you know, maybe do contracts so that players, when they sign a contract, their wages automatically drop rather than them just move on? You know, we should have Dave Fevs here on this, but what do you think is a simplistic way to equalise things in this division? Say, give each club five million quid to level it off a little bit? Or what? How would you? Do I that? think they should they should get rid of the parachute payments because they it's it's an unfair practice, which uh, which you know uh, which really favours the relegated teams every single season. You can see for the last few seasons that the teams regularly in the top six: Fulham Yo-Yo Club, Norwich City Yo-Yo Club, Bournemouth coming back. I think Sheffield United. I just think they um, they must have spent most of their money, which is why they 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 haven't. Uh, been able to you know been able to compete compete this season, yeah. and I also think there should be, I think the the idea I think from the 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 review where there should be a levy on transfer fees and that should be re- redistributed as well because the TV money I don't know when the TV the TV deals being renegotiated it's an exorbitant amount of money absolutely yeah. exorbitant amount of money where the teams in the Premier League don't have to rely on match day income. To, to survive the majority of those teams yeah. and that would be seen i mean we'd be aghast at that and and derby county you know they won the champ they won the league twice in the 70s they've got great fans a, a fantastic a fantastic ground how can they and 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 reading and Sheffield Wednesday keep accumulating those losses. I mean, they owe HMRC what sixty million pounds. That's money that could be going yes, to nurses, doctors, into into infrastructure. It's it'll sound a, a you know to, to a person in the street if you know tell tell people that a football club owe like that that money to the state. It sounds horrendous, doesn't it? But why well, did they, well, Mike? Why did they keep accumulating these losses? Why don't well, they do anything about it? Listen, the, the 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 thing is, why did the EFL let this go on for so flaming long? The, the the original disciplinary process took over a year. I know there was COVID, but it took over a year to get going. Then that lasted for a long uh, for a few days. Then they waited months before they came up with a conclusion. Then the EFL appealed because they didn't like the result, and that lasted even long. So this has been going on for well over two years. It's a disgrace, and, and the uh, you know, it's just not fair that the chairman can make these decisions, can put his money in. You don't say wrong for that. He's put his money where his mouth is, but what he's done is put, not put enough money in, and he's he's left 60 million at least 40 to 60 million to hmrc which they will get some back no doubt about it well, well the simplest thing would be to say club, and it, you should be paying it not yeah the simplest people. thing is and i think ian agree with me why keep spending money that you obviously haven't got i mean it's exactly. crazy what yeah. do you say ian well, it's a little bit like when they say you you do um wage capping you know that's a little bit like saying to the bloke who runs the fruit and veg shop don't eat it all yourself uh, you have to rely on people who call themselves businessmen to be able to run businesses. And what they seem to do, a lot of them, uh, I think they get caught up in the glamour of it and they see themselves as a, uh, I mean, I remember Reading when we used to troop up to Elm Park. Yeah. And and, and you, you go to that, it was a, a piddly little ground and they didn't get very big crowds and all of a sudden Medeski pumps a load of money in and up they go. Uh, and but you've got to be able to run a business and you can't run a, a business uh, and, and EFL are, are largely playing catch up. So in some people, and I think Gary Neville's one of them, has said, OK, you allow people to spend whatever they want. Uh, so in the case of Man City, you're competing against a country and an oil rich country at that. 
So you say to the people who own Newcastle, you want to spend a billion in January. Carry on. Go on. Right Now, to an extent, if that's their own money, I can understand it. Because you say, well, it's my money. Why can't I spend it? <laughs> but when, and they've stopped them now putting clubs into debt, although the situation with HMRC, um, HMRC didn't ought to allow them. I mean, if I don't, you know, if you don't pay your tax bill, they're coming around your house and they're taking stuff. It seems football clubs can, can get away with murder. Yeah. So they should scrap parachute payments completely, uh, just end it because it encourages uh, profligacy when sides get promoted. In terms of contracts, Dave, you can put anything you want into a, uh, into a contract. It's whether the bloke will sign it or not. Uh, so you have to do things like say, well, you get a wage cut um, if, I, if uh, we go down a division. Uh, Bristol City did a stupid thing once under Gary Johnson and that was they agreed people's wages when they went up. And you never do that because it only ever works one way. And that's going down. Because if you go up and you say, I'll pay you an extra five grand a week if we go up, you then end up with a League One player on championship money that you can't shift. And that's brainless. OK, uh, and, and how Steve Lansdowne let him do that, uh, I, I'll never know. But anyway, it did. So that's how we finished up with a load of players like Lewin, Nyatanga, Lee John, who we just couldn't sell um, because they were on such good contracts. So if you say, if you said to me, well, Ian, you know, you're, you're going to get 50 grand a week in the Premier League, but you're going to get 20 grand a week in the Championship, I'd say, yeah, OK, I'll sign that. Or my client will sign that. But we want a release clause. So you just signed in for 20 million. Um, I want a, a 15 million release clause before we sign the contract and agree to that. So he's got the right, the, as soon as somebody will pay 15 million for him, he's gone, or it could be 12 million. So what do you want to do? Do you want to lose your 8 million if you get relegated and the player, or do you want to go on paying in those wages? Yeah, but then, but then I t and that makes total sense. So really we're letting the players and the agents dictate it because that's a perfectly reasonable thing to do is yeah. because it would inspire it should inspire performance so that they make the effort that they don't go down because i can't think of specific clubs but i've read it enough times when well west ham went down to championship within the last 10 years i think and all the players that have been culpable with inept performances getting them down they all want away they all want their agents to get them another job so to some extent you know, the money should be redistributed by the TV companies, which makes a lot of sense. But equally, yeah. the power needs to go back to the clubs because the gravy train has got to stop somewhere along the line. And we've sort of done it with this season with Andy Vyman, obviously Michael knows from his time at Derby, and Nathan Baker, that were probably both players on 20 grand a week contracts that expired. Yeah, and they've taken pay cuts now that they're down to probably 12 grand a week each or something like that. But it's a, it, I mean, look, it, you could sit down and have a whole forum uh, talking about these things. Guys, we've just gone over the hour. I don't think we need to uh, preview our respective matches next weekend. We've got Hull, which uh, we haven't drawn an away game this season. I'd take a point up at uh, the Casey Stadium or whatever it's called now. Who have you got? Who have you got in your next game, Mike? Well, we might win. <laughs> Ah, Blackpool, who are having a bad time of it at the moment. Yeah, they yeah. I mean, they won in six games, had they? They're, they're, yeah. They got hammered by Luton yesterday, but uh, yeah. yeah, they had a, they had a good start to the season. Played without any fear, didn't they, Blackpool? But yeah, they don't seem to be doing that well. But it's been great to hear. It's great to hear your insight, Mike. From, from yeah, that, thanks know. for that. No, it's been a great. It's been great. It's been a great session. I'm just gonna end the recording now, chaps, and then we'll have a quick wrap up chat when I've stopped the recording and I'll be here with you.